You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast. Well, except when we're not. And that's this week when we finish off the surprising franchise review of Bill and Ted. Which one did we watch? It's pretty obvious. What is it, Matt? This week we watched the brand new Who Would Have Thunk It? All these years later, almost like 30 years later, the brand new Bill and Ted Face the Music. 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barstow, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. We're supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? you like our song it's a little on the dark side but you know that's cool yeah was it 27 years something like that 20 28 uh, yeah something something like that something crazy i forgot when the second one came out was it 92 91 maybe oh man 29 years can you believe it it's just crazy like i guess one of the craziest things about this movie is the fact that it exists at all like we just don't see stuff like this at all and i feel like listeners are like well there's reboots all the time and there's you know old properties all the time that get new versions made or whatever but this is just like a pure and simple sequel to those other movies that isn't any really kind of form of a reboot it isn't like a retelling or a remake of the original it's just a new sequel doing its own thing 29 years later I, you just don't see something like this. It's so unprecedented that this movie even exists. Well, and you also don't get the same type of feel that they do with the, you know, they usually change it up a lot of like, I don't know, when they did the Teen Wolf series and MTV, that came back as gritty. It was going to be a gritty, dark reboot. And then you know, get a lot of that with Batman in 1989 with Tim Burton compared to the old like cheese that they had back in the 60s. It's always like we've got to dramatically change it usually exactly like like a jurassic world or something like that where it, it is it's a different tone plus yeah that or, or like a jurassic world you get or a star wars you kind of get the same story told again and it, it, with new characters or whatever this is just it's the same characters and i mean it's the same writers it's a lot of the same like effects dudes worked on this like it's really just like a, a continuation of something that from 1991 it does have a little bit of elements of 
best of scenes and a little bit of elements of a little bit of the rehash in a way. I felt a little bit of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when they were going through the time travel looking for all these historical people to help with a song. And then you see them like going into hell at a certain point. And I thought, okay, I see what you're doing. But then it feels like the third act completely just goes, we're on our own. We've never done something like this. Which gets pretty damn crazy and fun. Yeah, it's like when they when they go pluck the historical figures, it's not kind of the same thing of like, you know, these are these are music people that they're plucking or whatever. And then you have like the characters from the real world popping up in today and stuff when the time is thrown off. And then you've got you've got hell again, like you said, but it's kind of almost like a different kind of hell. It's a different vision of hell this time before. Yeah. Going into a third act. That's kind of all its own. Um, and, and really honestly, like the most music focused of the three movies, uh, which have always been they're in a band, they're wild stallions, but this is like the most music heavy kind of one and music as like a, a character this time. Uh, really focusing in on that in the third act. Yeah, that's a good point. The first one, they were just a band who had to go on a historical tour of time to pass their class. And the second one, they were bad at it. The second one tried to focus more on music and, and certainly got you know some musicians in it and used a little bit more music that was known because they had more money. Yeah. And then they finished with a song at the end. And the, yeah, you're right. This one is all wrapped around we got to write a song to save the world, save the universe. Yeah. Uh, so this is bringing the series kind of full circle. Like we knew that they did this and that's how we saw the utopian vision of the future in uh, one and two. We knew that they did this and now we had to get to the point where it was like, okay, well, when does this happen? And like, I think it's fun to have it be 30 years later. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, well, they use their time well saying like, you know, we became a band after the huge show at the, you know, battle of the bands and, you know, death and part of the band and we were selling records, but then we just fell off and now they're just doing crappy shows to get by. But they're still like keeping the dream alive. It's like, we got to write that song that will save everything, bring the unite the entire world. And it was because they were older. His dad was using the joke like, why don't you get a real job? You're not good or you're not good enough. I don't really know what his dad was trying to say doesn't really matter. He just went back to his old trope of get a real job. Right. Yeah. Uh, disappointment in him. Yeah. So to get into the basic plot of this, and it is really basic to get, you know, we see them and they're doing the old joke of Missy's marrying someone else. This time, I think it was Ted's younger brother or Bill's younger brother. I can't remember. It was Ted's brother. Yeah. And he becomes, I don't know, a cop. Right. Yeah. He works with Ted's dad. He marries Missy and they did the joke and I don't even know what they called him. First, you were my you were my stepmom. Then you were my stepmom <laughs> or something like that. And now you're my oh I don't even know what they said. Now you're my whatever and my your sister and my mom. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and they start playing at the wedding and they use that. They mentioned the instrument that they used in the second one, because the second one at the very beginning, Rufus brings all the historical musicians and the one that was from the future that, you know, we had never heard of was the inventor of that. I don't know, like voice modulator thing 
mm-hmm. that I believe Bill was playing. Yeah. Okay. I may, That makes sense. I believe that. Only reason I picked up on it is because we recently watched Bogus Journey, and when they said that weird-ass name, uh, one of, I think it was Bill's daughter, like, wow, you did a great job on that. And when she said the actual <laughs> instrument name, I go, wait a minute, I remember that, because <laughs> it's so weird. Good, good recall on that. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. But it makes sense <laughs> that they would do that. And it's awful. The song is <laughs> so awful. <laughs> they got into their experimental phase uh, in, this, in this stage of their career. Yeah, and Ted's dad comes up and just turns that shit off. He's like, no. No. <laughs> and then he gives him, I'm disappointed in you. Get a real job. Even before we get to sort of the adventure, like since we're kind of talking about the beginning of the, this movie here, I don't know. I was going into this movie for whatever reason, thinking it was going to be a lot cheaper looking and feeling than it was. And, you know, with this opening scene and stuff like that, I got the vibe of the scope of this movie, and it was so much bigger than I thought it was going to be. And I'm talking about, like, the cast. Like, besides the players like Missy and Ted's dad and stuff that come back, we've got a stacked cast of, like, popular comedians from today, comedic actors and stuff from today, Plus, the movie looks great. It looks like pretty expensive. Whether it's low budget or not doesn't matter. But like, it looks good. It looked like a million bucks. Yeah, it's surprisingly only a twenty-five million dollar budget. And it looks so good. It looks like I don't know why I had it in my head that it would be cheaper. I think it's just because I've been burned by so many of these later sequels and things that I've been really looking forward to, and then they come out and then they're like cheap. And this didn't feel that way at all. Well, they could easily thrown less money at this and just said, you know, we're going to make our money back because this has such momentum. Like there's fan excitement. Right. But these writers, all of them, the returning writers of Chris, Ma- Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, they come back and they're the only ones with writing credits. But even though we know for a fact, Alex Winter was really invested in creating this story and so was keanu reeves so that's interesting i wonder if that's like a union thing or whatever yeah it probably is they're probably like d or wga writers or whatever so they had to get their their names on it and i'm sure that's why alex winter and keanu reeves are like producers on the movie because they were so involved in everything behind the scenes as well yeah and there's like six producers it's pretty incredible (laughs) but six producers all on the same page shocked to see that steven soderbergh was one of them uh i didn't know he was involved in this movie at all but maybe he's one of the people that helped this thing get made oh i i didn't even see his name anywhere yeah i caught it in the end credits i didn't know he was involved in it oh he must be really quiet yeah he must have just helped move this along get some money into it or whatever but i was really like what I tell you when I got fear in the beginning of the movie is when we were sitting down and while I laughed at the scene where they were doing their couples therapy, I started to like after the dad was like, I'm disappointed in you. And then we got that. I was like, oh, no, it's going to turn into one of these uh, like where it's too much of like they need to change Bill and Ted, like where Bill and Ted would then get normal jobs. And then we'd see, you know, like their daughters have to pull them out. I was really, really worried that's the way this was going to go. And that's not Bill and Ted. You know what I mean? They are Bill and Ted. We go on a silly, stupid adventure and we have fun. 
please don't turn this into one of these real life things. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I thought it could have went that way and it could have in lesser writers hands. It could have went that way where it's like a divorce movie or, uh, you know, just a sad family redemption thing. And I didn't want to see that either, but I'm glad they very quickly pivoted away from that and just continued focusing on being silly and like having the adventure be the thing and having their consistent sweetness remain. You know, they didn't get mean or hardened or shitty after all these years or whatever, or with the eminent maybe divorce or problems with the family, whatever. They're still sweet Bill and Ted. And I, I like that the movie did kind of pretty quickly pivot after that mm-hmm. scene into them going on the adventure. And I'm also glad that they didn't concentrate too much on the daughters going back in time to get the historic, even though they did spend a decent amount of time on it. I was, I right there, I was like, Oh no, Oh no, we're going to do, we're going to do a soft reboot. I had a huge fear with it that Bill and Ted would kind of slowly drift from it. And then they, they would just hand off the franchise to the daughters. No, it's a Bill and Ted movie. their daughter should be big parts of it which they were please don't go down so there was two routes where i was like oh we're gonna do this we're gonna do this because everyone does this disney just makes an entire formula of it with jurassic world and the star wars you know where you kind of like do the handoff and that's fine for the grandiose ones i'm not gonna get into a whole discussion about that because we've already done podcasts on them (laughs) these routes are easy to take They're open and available, but these writers, this team that put this together, somehow still used a little bit of that, but created their own adventure that wasn't that. I don't know if what I just said made sense. No, I know exactly what you're saying. It totally makes sense. And yeah, I I agree with you. I feel like every easy route they could have taken, they didn't. And every fear that I had of the movie they didn't. So, I mean, you use the two examples of like, is it going to be like uh, a daughter reboot? And is it going to be like a uh, sad kind of Bill and Ted divorce movie? And they could have went that way for a number of different routes. And I even said, you know, I thought it was going to be kind of cheaper and a little bit like faster and looser or whatever. I mean, the one of the more amazing things about this movie is that it just it never goes that way. It's constantly like pleasantly surprising me. Like, I feel like as we go on the movie, I can think of 40 more examples of like, oh, no, it's going to go this way. And then it never did. And then it was, you know, it just it kept surprising me pleasantly throughout. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with these veteran writers who have gone through the Hollywood circuit. They've done a ton of scripts where they probably had to resort to that because they were made. And they're like, you know what, let's use these tropes to our advantage. Let's make it appear to possibly go that way, then immediately turn it. Let's make, okay, now we're going back into that easy turn it. You know, and I I do wonder if they were using their wisdom of being in this business for such a long time. And they've done a lot of scripts. I know for a fact Chris Matheson has done a lot of scripts that have never sold because they've been bought and then used for something else, and he gets no writing credit. And I think as they work as a team a decent amount or something like that. I know they're really, really good friends. So I imagine if two writers that are really good friends, they probably constantly talk to each other of like crap that they've had to do. Yeah, and I think too, and we talked about it in our other Bill and Ted podcast, when we bring them up, they are Bill and Ted. 
So they understand this. Like, I mean, they're not them in real life, but they've played these characters. They invented these characters. They know them. They are them. They just get it. And they, they, besides just knowing these story turns and stuff like that, I mean, it's such a lived in thing for them. It should, it's just like second nature. <laughs> yeah. I mean, haven't both of them, they became script doctors, right? Chris Matheson, that's like the majority of his career now is uncredited doctoring. They've been punch up guys. And yeah, you're right. They've worked together. They've worked separately. They'll work together for a while and then separately for a while and then back together. You know, they jump around. And yeah, they've they've made a career of both like writing super famous scripts like Ed Solomon was a writer on uh, Men in Black or something like, you know, really big stuff. But then they'll also do doctor work where they don't get credit. So they're just working writers. <laughs> I guarantee you out of all their movies. You can really just tell their lines or their influence because they are very unique. They have a good like buddy rapport in their writing. I mean, it comes through in Men in Black. We talked about it in the Super Mario Brothers episode. I feel like we could tell the dialogue they wrote in that movie. It's the the buddy stuff they do so well. Okay, so we go into this where, you know, their wives are like, it's pretty funny, this whole scene on the couch where, no, Ted, I don't think you're getting it. See, what I want to tell you, princess, is we love you. <laughs> but they just keep fucking up. Uh, and then the wives are like, no, we we kind of don't know how much longer we can do this. And then that sets off the adventure where Bill and Ted's like, oh, no, they're going to divorce us. We've got to, you know, save our marriage. And then the uh, Rufus's daughter comes down and I can't remember Rufus's daughter's name now. Yeah, I don't remember. It's Kristen Shaw's the actress, but I can't remember the character's name. But it is it's Rufus's daughter. Yeah, Kelly. Okay. Uh, yeah, Kelly comes down, takes them to the Supreme Leaders, which the Supreme Leaders are fed up. Yes. Which was interesting because the Supreme Leaders in the first one, which were not really shown in the second one, Supreme Leaders in the first ones were very calm and kind of bigger than life. And these ones are a little bit more like, okay, we've given you a lot of time. We've given you everything you need. We still don't have that song that's going to save the world. So uh, you need to write it right now. Yeah, they're a little fed up. They're a little nervous. They're a little like just hardened, jaded, just kind of like Bill and Ted are a little bit too in the fact that like they hadn't taken off. The leaders are just like, come on, guys, get your shit together. <laughs> and they still run off. Uh, because they're like, oh man, we're not going to be able to write this. We don't even know what we're doing. And then they take off with the old time machine, which leads to a really cool, well done Rufus appearance, which was, you know, when you, when you watch it, you're like, oh man, George Carlin's gone. There is some sadness there. It was a nice homage. I don't know how the hell they did that. Yeah, it was a nice tribute. I feel like they used uh, the footage from the first movie f for him and then like maybe had somebody do his voice or something like that. Somebody who could do like a good impression of him do like the voice. But it worked. Yeah, I thought it worked really well. I thought it was a really nice tribute to him and it was good to like see him again with those guys for a second. Yeah, and then they, they take off and this is when this movie to me really kicks in the Bill and Ted adventure. A lot of the first act was a little slow in the setup. I don't know if it was so much slow. It's just like there was a lot of directions we could have gone like we discussed before. And I was nervous. I had a few laughs, but I was nervous. 
But right when Bill and Ted go on their adventure, I really felt like there was some type of calm, fun levity that came over me. And I was sitting there watching the movie and I was like, I'm starting to feel like a kid again. Like I felt excited when they started to go through the time portals in the old time machine. It felt like I was a kid again about to go on an adventure. And act two is good. There's a few things where I'm like, "Mm, okay, I I don't think I've done that, but I think it's fun. And then act three, when we get into that, awesome. I was like, oh my God, this is what I wanted. That's the craziest thing about this movie is that it like that. I felt that same way too, where it just like, this was it. This is all you guys needed to do. This was all I needed this to be. And it's ex- and it's exactly that. And it's it's simple, but I don't want to undercut it either in that. Like, it's simple doing what we want, but it's also smart to do it in a way that's constantly entertaining and fresh and fun for the series. Mm-hmm. It's like, it. this is sort of the perfect reboot, I guess. Like, this is the way we should have been doing them all along. Like, this is exactly what this movie should have been. And I agree. Yeah, I just I just had a blast. And I felt like this was the best connection to something like 80s, 90s, like in the most genuine way that I think I've ever felt. Like, this felt like, yeah, I was watching a 90s movie again in the 90s. Like, it was insane. Okay, so when they go back in time and they're, you're picking up Mozart, they're picking up... I think Jimi Hendrix was the most interesting along with his role model, uh, Louis Armstrong. When they go and they pick those two up, they're they're the most interesting. Clearly, they spent the most time developing, you know, why would Jimi Hendrix come with two random white girls who just show up and say they're from the future? It's mm. perfect because he's like, no. <laughs> what the fuck are you guys talking about? And then they go back in the past and... Louis Armstrong is the most polite man ever, apparently. I I don't know anything about Louis Armstrong, but, you know, whatever. Uh, It was a good, it was good. They did a good job doing this, and they didn't spend too much time on it. They didn't actually, like, awaken my fear. Yeah, they were just having, it was just, it was working. Like, everything just was as long as it needed to be. Nothing overstayed its welcome. Everything just needed to... Everything snapped into place really nicely. And yeah, I, I like this Louis Armstrong actor. Like he was just so like likable. And yeah, having Jimi Hendrix in it's cool. And then these other older musicians and stuff they add to the group. Just very fun how they how they get to do it. And then, of course, then Kid Cudi gets wrapped up in it. And that was like a fun addition as well. Uh, but they have this whole like story, side story of the daughters going on the adventure works really well it's in it's in it the you know appropriate amount of time it's still a bill and ted movie but we get their story as well and it it, they don't overtake the thing it's 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 a nice two-hander and they're they're both and they they're both really fun i think another concern i had in here was that the girls were just going to be doing like impressions of bill and ted and i was going to be it was going to be cringy they're excellent in the movie they're so they're having just as much fun as everybody else is yeah, there was only a few times where I was like, oh, are we just going to do an imitation of Bill and Ted? I, I think they started at first to go down that route, or at least it seemed like that way. And then they peeled off. And I don't know if that was on purpose or maybe the actresses just became more comfortable in their roles. But they started to have their own lingo. Yeah. Even though they were, they, they were kind of California surfery, they were different i i don't really because i can't point to certain words it was just their mannerisms where they were clearly like 
influenced by how their fathers talk, but they certainly weren't just carbon cop bad carbon copies. Right. They were products of 2020 versus them being products of the 80s. They but they weren't in an annoying way. You know, they weren't like the old man writes a millennial kind of way where they're on their phones the whole time and they are really uh, indifferent about things. Though, you know, the way Hollywood writers always portray younger people in 2020 they were just the 2020 version of bill and ted kind of in in a really fun way not in this you know the way i just criticized in fact i would say they were kind of like their own version of retro yeah wow i don't think i ever saw them on their phone except with louis armstrong right yeah you know it was just uh i don't know refreshing in that way they were treated they were they were treated modern but not obnoxiously there was no obnoxious of like, oh, all you kids do is play on your phone and try to influence and take selfies. And certainly that's an easy trope. I mean, I'm sure we could go to a middle school and high school and that's all kids are doing are being on their phones. So would we if we we're in that, because what the fuck else are you going to do when you're walking down the hallway? I mean, when we went to school, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the same thing with you. When I went to school, it was mostly like just trying to stay away from assholes in the hallway, just go to and grab my books and go back to class. We didn't have cell phones in uh, high school until like the second half of high school. And we didn't know what to fucking do with them yet. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, I didn't, I went to high school when it was just like, I am from a different planet compared to kids. Now the way right. I went to high school, right. they're like, what the fuck? You had a bunch of books. I'm like, yeah, I had so many books. It almost broke my back. Like, you have an iPad now, you lucky shit. Good. Yeah. I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, now I'm more jealous of them. I'm like, man, you kids don't know how good you got it. <laughs> Old man river. <laughs> I'll tell you back in my day. Back in the day. Yeah, but like, I think that ties, it ties to the movie well and that like this movie does have a lot of nostalgia, you know, obviously because it's, it's a 30 year old series, mm -hmm. but also brings into the fold 2020 very nicely and not cynically, you know, like it's like, yeah, okay, like they're different. They're just different now. Like that's, that's how Bill and Ted's daughters are represented. It's just different. Things are just different mm -hmm. than they were, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so fucking cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have the Bill and Ted just, you know, <laughs> dealing with the station of this movie. And may I say, Dennis, I believe his name is? Yes. Holy crap. Dennis McCoy is weird. And it is one of those where I believe people are going to watch this. And they might like the movie, but there is going to be a good chunk of people that do not get Dennis as much as they did not get Station. Yeah, it's a weird character. He's a weird guy. I love the fact that this is a guy that cannot take criticism, has such weird self-esteem issues, and uh, is just looking to fit in. But he's supposed to be like our threat for a while. Yeah, this movie has two threats. It's the Supreme Leader sending him, which is an assassin, a awful, terrible assassin. But I think that was what's funny about it. He's an assassin with insecurity problems and he yes. wants to fit in but he has no idea how he can't read the room at all no doesn't take any social cues no. he's just uh <laughs> just a bizarre bizarre man who is not even a man he's a robot 
And and I love the fact that like the world of Bill and Ted we could play in is such a big thing where this robot does kill all these people and then they do go to hell but they're just like well we'll get out of it you know <laughs> like i love the world that bill and ted gets to play in yeah i mean because they're zooming all over the place looking at like the different realities of their life <laughs> you know like the bad it's not bad bill and ted but they're just like old jaded gross bill and ted yeah and, and then they go into another dimension where they're Oh, it's, I think it's the same ones, but now they're in prison because they broke into uh, the Foo Fighters uh, lead singer, um, David Dave Grohl's Grohl. house and get arrested. And then the assassin kills all, you know, Bill and Ted's family and friends and all the historical dead dudes literally now. Right. And it's just the this when we enter hell, this movie really just blows my mind in the best way possible i never thought that they could take me on an adventure this fun anymore i'm jaded because of all the shit we've seen through the years of bad reboots and all this this surprised me in the best way possible agree agree 100 percent. i mean we'll talk a little bit about the third act but i i really at this point if you haven't seen the movie shut it down rent the movie you're going to have a good time. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast, you're going to like this movie. Like it's, it's plain and simple. Like it's the, it's the kind of thing we all like. It's the, all, it's the kind of thing we grew up with guys. Like you got to watch it. So yeah, come back. We'll start talking about later stuff in the movie now. So if you haven't seen it, turn it off, start us back up after you watch it. Okay. We're back. It's time to talk about the start of hell, the third act where this thing is just so much fun. And we get Sadler, baby. Bill Sadler's back. He's death. We get a little tease of him early on in the movie when the when the first round of folks go to hell. Uh, but we get full on death in the third act, and he's doing the same shtick, and it's still funny. And it's so much fun to see them like so. They they were such good characters in the second one. Uh, their chemistry was just spot on. And they go right into this. And this is like seeing a friend that you're really good friends with 10 years later and you don't skip a beat. Now, these two, you know, they have to apologize. And I also love how they use the daughter's influence to get them back together where they're like, death, man, your solo albums of just bass playing were amazing. And they're sort of kind of lying, but they build up his ego. And then, you know, like the band needs you and you need the band. It's just fun. And like by the time like Bill, the Bill and Ted apology feels genuine. And then, yeah, he just kind of rejoins the group. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's like you said, it's like catching up with a friend you haven't seen in 10 years, but nothing's changed. Yeah. And just to hear their guy, I would love to be uh, a fly on the wall to listen to all of them talk about how they were going to connect this and how it ends up Bill and Ted sue death. Because Death tried to steal the name Wild Stallions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. And then how Death had, he decided to go back to hell. And then everyone in hell was mad at him for helping them leave hell. <laughs> He's like, let me tell you, I was demoted. <laughs> <laughs> Which, how do you demote Death? Like, he's still <laughs> got to pick everyone up when they die. And by the way. The, the entire CG layout of hell 
you know, it doesn't have the same weird character as the second one, but it still creates a fun, chaotic environment where people are like just falling. It also it does. It still looks like it doesn't look the same at all as Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, but it still looks like a metal album cover, like how they reference it in in yeah. Bogus Journey. It just looks like a different uh, metal album cover. <laughs> Agree. Yeah, and then when they they rock out, you know, Death's like, "Let's rock." <laughs> Dennis is like, "I liked it when you said let's rock because it made me want to rock." <laughs> Such a weird guy. Just a weird guy. It's it, it it feels almost like death turned up to like twenty five because death has like the self esteem issues and stuff too obviously yeah. and that's why we're in it. but this is like on another level. <laughs> no, this reminds me of a lot of people that I will talk to at conventions sometimes and like I just remember one conversation I had with someone who's just like I really like the Halloween movies because he's he's stalking people and like yeah man that's like all of slasher <laughs> you know like where he doesn't read the room of like yeah you don't get the social cue like we we all we're all on board with halloween man like you don't have to explain to me how awesome that movie is but do you know what i mean like where you get into those conversations where some people's ability to pick up the social cues aren't there i'm i'm sorry if any of them are listening in this podcast but i've met so many dentists at conventions yes, and festivals yes. in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's I don't wanna I, I, I don't wanna make fun of them because I know some people's just like they're just like that. Yeah, you can't. I don't. I don't. I'm not mad at them for yeah, it. No, they're no, just no. like that. <laughs> no, it's just like I'm glad that you enjoy the same stuff as me, and I'm glad I have someone to talk to and in like this joy. It's just hilarious because. We know Dennis's. Yes, I've met so many Dennis's. <laughs> and I'm glad you said horror conventions because I've met most of them at horror conventions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, I'm still going to rock out with you, man. That's fine. We're going to talk about this all day. But yeah. eventually I'm going to tell you to maybe you should go dance in the corner by yourself. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this for 30 minutes, man. <laughs> yeah, it is a little exhausting being with the dentist for more than maybe the allotted amount of time. But uh, yeah, they're great. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's so true. Yes, met a few of them. Yeah. I mean, really, we just get out of this. And this, this movie is, is going 100 miles an hour. And it's great. It isn't rushed, even though this script has so much going on. You can easily see this as, like too much. It's convoluted. But somehow at the end of this, these bastards wrap this all up. And like my entire body was filled with joy and positivity. I'm like, how did you do this in 2020? Exactly. I, I, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how they captured this like lightning in a bottle. Again, <laughs> these two got to write more movies. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're, we've got to make this campaign where just do some more characters. I don't care what you do. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if another villain's head or villain's head. I don't know. Offshoot of their daughters. I, I don't know what's going to happen down the future. If we're going to have a villain's head TV series, not like the other one that was awful <laughs> and you can catch it on youtube by the way and really waste a lot of your time this is the future san dimas california 2692 a most excellent society based on the philosophy of the two great ones bill and ted and the music of their band the wild stallions my job is to provide the two great ones with the circuits of time phone booth allowing them to travel through time keeping them on their correct path 
a path they must follow to ensure the future of our most excellent society. What did you? How much of that did you watch? I watched the pilot episode, which is awful. Oh, because I watched. Yeah, I watched about four minutes of the uh, thing you sent me, which uh, the of the episode. I watched about four minutes of it, and I was like, "Yikes!" <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's eight episodes, only seven aired. I watched the pilot episode because it did not air, and the pilot episode is just people that have no clue how to write Bill and Ted. Because they use, like, Mindy. I mean, Mom. Mindy was kind of a sex object in the first one. But they turn it up to, like, a 10. Where the first appearance of Mindy is just her in, like, an 80s bikini. And I'm like, yeah, you guys don't get why it was funny, though. It was funny because their dad had married someone basically a few years older than them. Right, someone they went to high school with, yeah. And they were conflicted about being attracted to her. (laughs) yes that's what was funny and then in the pilot they're just like she's she's freaking hot right and you're like no there's no confliction though you should feel conflicted (laughs) that's what's funny uh anyway back to this yeah they end up discovering that their daughters are really the ones that form the song And they're just part of the song. So Rufus kind of had gotten the visions of what Bill and Ted were supposed to do for the future a little bit wrong. I mean, it is their daughters, so they certainly played a huge part. And they played the guitar solo at the end that like really put everything together. But I thought that was clever and cute. Yeah, it was nice. It was it was a good I don't want to say like passing of the baton moment because it wasn't. It was just the it was a way to bring everything all together, I guess. Uh, and yeah, it, it was it was so nice. Again, they could have went down that road. They could have went, look, man, now the daughters are the rockers, and they sang the song, and they could have done all that, but they didn't. It became a complete ensemble. It became it. It became about everybody needs to come together. Yeah, and I mean, this message of this movie is work together be an awesome team be totally excellent to each other (laughs) yeah it's like use use the things you're good at and what you like to do together with everyone and that's like the sort of and that's how the music is made when everybody does the thing they like and they're good at uh, together in unison and it's kind of like a beautiful message for 2020 and such a hopeful thing but also not like cheesy not like forced doesn't feel like fake no it's it's really interesting how they did all this because it is goofy it is a little dumb and maybe there's a little cheese in it but like when you put it all together it's a really good recipe for a great dessert yeah it's been a while since i felt that watching a movie Really, I don't think I felt that since watching Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. And mostly I'm talking about 1. There is a lot in 2 that I love. But like Guardians of the Galaxy felt like that just everything fit together where I was done watching it. And I just felt happy. Like I just felt like a kid again. Like, you know what? Being an adult's hard, but damn it, I feel really good right now. And I felt that at the end of the movie. Literally, like the same same vibe. Uh, I think too. Um, one of the other factors that we didn't even we haven't even really talked about yet that worked really well was the uh, 
edition of director uh, Dean per- Parasat. I don't know how to say his name. Parasat from Galaxy Quest. Um, and I think I just rewatched Galaxy Quest again recently. I think this is also something that he does well. So I think it, the addition of him in like the Chris Matheson, Ned Solomon stable uh, as being like the, the director of the third one, you know, each one has a different director. He brings this the flavor to it that works really well as well that I think, you know, Galaxy Quest did well where it is. It's stupid and sweet and sci-fi, but it all kind of, like, kind of comes together nicely in the end. So I think he's another factor in this working really well as well. He's got a curse. And, you know, he had to be when the, the whole pandemic's going on with COVID-19, he had to feel like, you know what, what am I going to do? Because he was cursed with Galaxy Quest with you can watch the behind the scenes on that. But that just that movie should have done so much better. But there are a lot of problems, but it's got a huge cult falling now. And I've always been a huge fan of it and loved it and like really wore out that VHS I had of it. And then you had the the fun with Dick and Jane, which that was a bad script. He took it because who's not going to, you know, want to work with uh, that was Jim Carrey, right? Yeah. Jim Carrey and uh, Tia. Taylioni. Yeah. yeah Taylioni. Two big stars, you know, coming together is a bad script. It was awful. It was an awful movie. Uh, but who, what director is going to turn down working with those two stars? Exactly. Especially at that time. They've already been like the most famous and now they're still just like (laughs) making stuff. Yeah. But that was a movie I think that suffered from having like a hundred script writers on it. Yeah. You know, everybody trying to make that thing work and it just was never going to work. Well, now you're going to get into his third curse, which was Red 2. Oh, wow. Red 2. Two script writers, all kinds of ones hidden to, you know, try to pick up the script. And then you had... Just the ridiculousness of Bruce Willis and the director, you know, him and the director. It, it was Red 2 is a nightmare. And then a like a box office bomb uh, where they spent like, I, I don't know. I think the budget was around $100 million, but the marketing was stupid because they're like, oh, this is going to make easy money because Red 1 was a uh, success. And then, you know what? He had to at that point feel like after Dick and Jane, after Red 2 that maybe his directing career was over. Yeah, I didn't even see Red 2, so I, mean, I just I just missed that one. Most didn't. I mean, <laughs> only people over 50. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And I watched it with my dad, my mom and dad, by the way. It's the only reason. They're like, oh, do you want to watch this? And I'm like, oh, of course you fucking pick a Bruce Willis film. <laughs> yeah, like you said, I, I wonder if he was getting the, the vibes of, oh, no, this movie's not going to come out now because of this. Because it was supposed to come out in August before any anything went down. And then and then they moved it kind of around. And then it eventually ended up kind of back in August, sort of around its original release date. Yeah, because they had planned on, at one time, it was going to be uh, released somewhere in September. And when we were coming up with the planning of this, I had no idea that it had been moved to August, the end of August. And I'm like... Wow, this has been all over the place. I don't know what other podcasters do, but sometimes I'll go through and I'm like, okay, that's that's a movie coming out new that we'd possibly be interested in. And I write down all the release dates. Well, Bill and Ted had changed like this is the third third uh, date change, even though it's always still around the same time. 
August, September, you know? Right. Yeah. But they, they've kept shifting it around and yeah, it is, it was hard because we were also trying the Tetris bogus journey into yes. the, into our like weeks of release or whatever. So it's been really weird to kind of Tetrising it, but it, it ended up settling on a date that ended up working out perfectly for us. But uh, yeah, you, you got to think like uh, as, as the director, when this is going down, you're like, fuck. When is this movie going to come out? <laughs> and yeah. is anybody going to see it? Are they going to drop it in theaters when nobody's going to theaters? Like, what's going to happen to this thing? But I feel like this is going to be the best case scenario. And I hope that it people rent the shit out of it because they could do it at home. No, Voodoo did something very, very smart. Voodoo gave you credit for other movies if you bought this movie in advance, which I did. And it's brilliant. Because now I have voodoo credit for another movie. I'm already saving money on my next movie for a movie that I wanted to buy. I was going to buy. Uh, I don't know when I'll get a physical copy of it. I I do know that I get a credit offer physical copy that voodoo will send me. Which is basically just Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was smart. But from what I can see, not only do the critics love it, the fans have loved it so far. And it's really selling well. Now, we're not going to get the final numbers, you know, for the first weekend release and everything probably till, you know, the middle of next week. But I have a feeling it's probably going to be the most sold video on demand this summer. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope so not just because, you know, I want there to be more Bill and Ted's, but I do want them to look at this and be like, this is how you do retro stuff. This is how you do reboots. This is how you do years later sequels. I hope I hope it is successful so that we could look at this and go, okay, the winning formula is bringing back a good team. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing with Thor Ragnarok, where Thor Ragnarok is retro off a series that has nothing to do with retro, but they knew what they were doing with the visuals of it, and they weren't shoving it down your throat in the most nauseating way. And it's it takes a special team to do that because it takes people who don't, you know, immediately go down the shortcut of these stupid writing tropes or these stupid visual, you know, they could have easily just had those kids, you know, like, hey, check it out. I've got a tape deck or a CD, you know, like, oh, man, what is no skip? I don't know. You know, like there was no annoyingness like that where it just is easy or like one of them could have had a Game Boy. Which I'm actually shocked that, you know, that has not been in more retro movies. Like, I'm playing the original Game Boy like a real gamer. Like, no, we originally had the Game Boy. It fucking sucked because it didn't have color. And then when we had a Game Boy color, it was like, (gasps) the world has changed. (laughs) You know, I was like, not all of these retro things were great. We just, that was the only thing we had. (laughs) It's like, back off on, like, the, you know, total nostalgia joy some things weren't cool. Okay? That's just all we had. Right. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, see this movie. We've talked about it enough. Let's travel into the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. It's the Bill and Ted wing of the museum. One of the sweetest 
most positive wings of the museum. Everything's fun. Everything's neon. Everything's awesome. Yeah. Everything is most excellent. I'll be the very nice gentleman here. I'm going to let Matt put something first. So I I love Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted is one of my... This was my most probably anticipated movie ever coming out. Uh, I... I I'm obsessed with Bill and Ted. I love I love both of them. I love Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. And I'm going to put in the museum Alex Winter. Not because I think he was better than Keanu or anything in the movie, but I've seen Keanu over the last 30 years. I haven't seen Alex Winter in much. I've seen his documentaries that he's directed, and I think he's a very good documentary director, and I, I really like him as a filmmaker. But it was so good to see him on screen again and doing like the Alex Winter shtick. Uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast many times, but Freaked is like one of my like top 20 favorite movies ever. And I love Alex Winter in that as well. And it's so it was so good to see him doing his thing again, his his shtick as uh, as Bill. I again, I love Keanu Reeves and I've been a huge Keanu Reeves fan forever as well, but I've seen him. So I'm going to put Alex Winter as Bill in this movie in the museum because it was so refreshing and fun to see him do his bits again. Yeah, when he, I mean, just starting out of the gate with that documentary film on Napster. Yeah, that's that's really where he just established like he can do this. And I'm really uh, excited to see his showbiz kids documentary about the child actors in Hollywood. Yeah, it dropped on HBO. Oh, did it? It's on HBO Max. Uh, if you have that, it's it just it dropped pretty recently this year. I have to make the switch because I'm ripping my HBO from Roku and I'm putting it on my YouTube TV, which is HBO Max, and it's the same price. I don't understand the whole HBO thing. Different of <laughs> different topic for another. Yeah, right. There's a lot to break down with what the the, the HBO Max thing, but uh, if it's the same price, yeah, just make the switch. It's more stuff, and that Showbiz Kids is on there, and I'm excited to watch it too because I just found that out. Like when we were watching Bill and Ted uh, the other night, and we so of course we looked up Alex Winter and what he's been up to, and saw it was saw Showbiz Kids on his IMDb, and then immediately checked HBO and saw that they had added it, and we're like, perfect, <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Okay, I am going to honestly put in the intelligence of the script. I was really impressed, and I've talked about it, we've talked about it multiple times during this podcast, is they like they just had the opening to go down the lazy path of script writing, and they skipped over it each time. But they also, a couple times, put that like exit for me to look at and you to look at where we're like, oh God, are we going down this? No, we just kept cruising down the Bill and Ted Highway. We didn't take these easy routes. And it was great. I really, I mean, the second half of this was just so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> excellent. Yes, most excellent. Yeah, there's there's so much, there's so much stuff that like... Uh, one like one other moment I guess I wanted to mention just really quick was the the do you think that Kid Cudi is stationed? I was trying to figure that out too because I was like, did I miss something? <laughs> I just th- I feel like it was maybe like a cute nod, but I'm like maybe he is the new reincarnated uh, station. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, station was stuck into this whole franchise from the second movie on because. When they were omitting the scripts and deleting stuff, 
one of the words that was left over was just station. And it was from a police station scene where they looked at it and they thought it was funny and it became an inside joke amongst the crew. And that's why they decided to name the alien station. How about that shit? Right. And then they just mentioned it all over the place in the the second script before station even showed up. Like in in Bogus Journey, right before I think uh, Evil Bill and Ted take off in their time machine, they're like Station. You're like, what? How <laughs> they did, just what? They just like saying it. Yeah, I think it's because it's a funny word to say in the Bill and Ted voice. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's also like the most inside joke I've seen in a while that actually makes it into the public script. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it and it works still. Like we still think it's funny because it's just weird and like doesn't make sense. Yeah, and it's brilliant because they don't explain it ever. They <laughs> never do this. Like, oh, the reason we say station is blah 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 blah. It's never going to happen in this franchise, and it never should. Just keep cruising with this weirdness. Yeah, and I I think that's I think that's tied to exactly what you were saying. It's the smartness of the script and the the way the way these guys write these movies, it's like even an inside joke can be funny to the audience because they just know how to have fun and be weird and embrace the weird. If this is super successful, which I believe it will be, do we get anything else Bill and Ted universe wise? I think it's possible and I, I will happily watch it and I'll happily be excited to do it, especially if the writing team is back or whatever. But uh, I just think if we do get something bill and ted related again because this makes a ton of money let's just take our time still you know i'm okay waiting four years for another one if it's gonna take time to make it right so take your time if we're gonna do another one yeah i i don't know if we can i i I think they fulfilled their 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 trilogy and i think if you're going to have more it shouldn't be called bill and ted anymore it should be just a different world you know, if, if it is the daughter's fine, just don't call it Bill and Ted. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think this movie wrapped up all the promises of one and two very nicely. And it brings the whole story full circle. We see them old and stuff like that. Like it's it's this is this should be the end of this story. How whatever that means, this is the end of this journey. Sweet. Excellent. Party on, everyone. Thanks for coming <laughs> by Analog Jones. It's been fun. Oh, man. Let's get this done under an hour. Excellent. <laughs> and come back next week when we're going to go through an 80s franchise. Very short franchise. I don't even... Can we even call it a franchise? Yeah, it's a franchise because it has more than the, the movies. There's only a couple okay. movies, but there's more than the movies. So it's a franchise. All right. Until next week, remember to be kind. And be excellent to each other.